Hello and welcome to Who Watches the World Cup, the only podcast on the internet that I know of, but I don't know much, where international football is compared with international politics to predict the winners, to see how we think things are going to play out on the field. I'm joined, as always, by David Bryan. Dave, we just recorded the controversy episode. I'm pretty tired. How are you feeling? Emotionally exhausted, but I hope this will be a, a nice uplifting... Uh, well... <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you feel that way because I bought you a present to help you try to, to see it through. Did you? Yes, we, we, we stopped recording for five minutes so that you could go to the toilet. And in the meantime, I, I got you some coffee and I went downstairs and I brought you some Terry's chocolate orange. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. Now, it, it's the middle of June and Terry's chocolate orange is a British chocolate reserved almost entirely for Christmas. <laughs> and so I'm hoping that this... This Terry's chocolate orange that we've got here, as well as stick to the back of your throat and stop you from projecting, you know, in a way that's useful on a podcast. Okay. I'm hoping that it's going to, uh, yeah, uh, the sugar and the the dopamine that it will will help us uh, help us get through. So, enjoy some of that with your coffee. Thank you very much. I will. Yeah. I do like a chocolate orange. I'm not a huge chalky fan, but I will. I will have a chalky orange. That's good, and it looks like a football. So, Shall we see how many keepy ups we can do <laughs> with the Terry's chocolate orange? <laughs> yeah. yeah, all right, let's give it a go. My uh, my total will be zero, so I think you will, miss it. You will even miss the first kick. I think I think I'll drop it and go, whoa, <laughs> and that'll be it. So we're here to finish what we started, Dave. We're here to talk about Group E. Um. Don't let me get carried away with myself this time. <laughs> Let's get straight into some football. Who have we got in Group E? Group E comprises of Spain, Sweden, Poland and Slovakia. Oh crap. I'm, I'm eating the Now you're eating chocolate. Haha, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> How many games have we had in Group E so far? Uh, they've all played once. Mm-hmm. Spain's played Sweden and Poland played Slovakia. Okay. So with my very limited knowledge of pretty much everything, but especially football, Spain are a super team. They're one of the footballing nations, right? Sweden are pretty good. Poland are eh, but they've got the best striker in Europe. Slovakia. Who even knows, man? Slovakia could be like one of the worst footballing teams in Europe, or they might be like Croatia, where they're somehow one of the best teams, and I've got no idea about it. <laughs> one of those former, so, former Eastern Bloc yeah, yeah, who are somehow amazing with football. So if I was going to layer this team, I think Spain should be the best team. Then probably Sweden, then Poland, then Slovakia. What do you reckon? I mean, that's not a bad shout. If anything... A bit a of little, a battle between Poland and Sweden. Perhaps. If anything, a little... Well, that might actually end up being closer to the, closer to the truth. But if anything, it might be a little out of date. And oh, then, and mm, like, like this chocolate orange, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and if anything, it's Spain, really, who have changed a lot in the, in the kind of the public, public consciousness. Having been dominant in world football from, what, 2008 through to yeah. 2012, winning two Euros and the World Cup in a short space of time. But the problem was that that was very much their golden generation and that all those players are gone. I think the only players that are still in the squad from that time are Sergio Busquets, their captain, and Jordi Alba, their vice-captain. Mm. And we all know what happened to Sergio Busquets. And we all know what happened to Sergio Busquets. He's missed the first game with COVID. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be allowed to play the next game or not. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, David De Gea, I think, and Cesar Azpilicueta were probably in squads around that time, but they were second fiddle behind the people in front of them. So really, this is nothing like the Spain team of old. And even like having watched them against Sweden, even to watch them, you wouldn't really recognise them. Under um, Vincente del Bosque, they brought this tiki-taka kind of football to the, to the public consciousness and made it their own and dominated the world with it. The, that group of players were almost unbeatable. But even the style of football seems to have changed based on, based on what I saw against Sweden and based on some of their results leading into this tournament. I don't really think that tiki-taki thing is their style anymore. And whatever the, you might want to call their style now, it didn't work against Sweden. Sweden just bolstered down, stayed organised, really frustrated Spain, who didn't lack chances, but they just kept fluffing them. They just seemed not... They seemed uh, underprepared. Mm. Steve used the phrase toothless. Toothless is very true, especially when their main striker is one of, I think, the most overrated players in in Europe, which is Alvaro Morata. I don't dig him at all. I think when he was younger at Atletico, he had the potential to be the next big Spanish star. Maybe he actually suffered from being so far behind in that pecking order with the national team. So he's meant to be inheriting the mantle of David Villa and Fernando Torres. But his failed spell at Chelsea maybe was a pretty good precursor to how, he is, how he's been with the national team, at least in, in this first game. His, his goal-scoring record is not bad. It's 19 goals in 41 games. It's nearly, mm. nearly a goal every other game. But, yeah, just, I've never trusted him to, to be like a proper world-class player. Um, but, I mean, their running would probably have given, running to this tournament would have given people, I guess, a little bit of glimmer that there will still be this powerhouse. Are they, are they have, since uh, the Euro- Nations League games back in September, they've only lost once, including all the Nations League games, all their friendlies and all of their World Cup qualifying games. They've only lost once and that was away to Ukraine, 1-0. Um, so they, that seems good. <laughs> uh, but and actually, they also included a 6-0 win against Germany. That's kind of mind-blowing because I, in this in the match against Sweden, I couldn't really see them getting a goal. No. Let alone how this team creates six. Well, I don't know how they do it. I there what comes to mind a couple of instances in that game where if it wasn't Alvaro Morata that was going in, right? Okay, he was through on goal at one moment, and we saw him take the shot where he set it wide to bend into the corner, and yeah, if it had been a pre pre injury Fernando Torres, if it had that, been yeah. I don't know if it had been like one of anyone else in the squad. Okay. Like uh, maybe maybe they would have tucked it away. Something about his confidence it seems you can't really hit the target. Um, and the, the, yeah, their their starting eleven didn't really look like the type that would be scoring goals. Mm. Their front three was Morata, Ferran Torres of uh, Manchester City, who's who's um, sort of really come into his own, I think, in the last half of the season and looked to be a, a threat for goals. On on one side, on the other side was Danny Olmo, who I'd never even heard of <laughs> before this tournament. I don't even know who he plays for. He plays for RB Leipzig. Ah, of course. And that was only his 12th cap. So I... And there were players in their squad which I would have thought would be a shoo-in. Gerard Moreno for Villarreal obviously had a great season. They won the Europa League and I was surprised that he didn't, he didn't get a start. Um, there are other players who came on off the bench, actually, that, that seemed to make a good impact. 
Oyathabal, which I'm probably pronouncing his name terribly, I'm sorry, from Real Sociedad. He looked quite interesting and dangerous when he came on. Thiago from Liverpool didn't start, he mm-hmm. came off, off the bench. Um, Rodri, the Man City player, who I've actually would have really rated in the Premier League, he didn't seem to be doing much. Koke, the Atletico Madrid captain, he did play, but he's never scored for his country in 51 caps. Right. And he, again, he didn't seem to be adding to it. So there was this, that game had this kind of um, melding of a toothless, to quote Steve, um, quite, quite accurately, a toothless Spain versus a very resilient Swedish team who haven't lost a game um, this calendar year. Wow. They they lost they lost their last um, international of, of twenty twenty against France four two but since then not lost a match and the, none of these were against like great teams they seem to have done what the opposite of a lot of teams do where in the build up to a tournament you'll have a friendly against maybe a, an easy team and then maybe you'll have a friendly against a tougher team to kind of get you in the in the mold for the for the tournament but they seem to have a lot of their friendlies were against Estonia Finland and Armenia okay all at home. Then they won all of them quite easily. And there are a couple of World Cup qualifying games in March. They won against Georgia and Kosovo. So they haven't really had much of a fierce test since November against France, which they did lose. But they seemed to know exactly what they were doing. Um, I don't know if you remember back in the World Cup, there was a particular Swedish player that I picked out. Mm. And I said, the fact that he's been selected for the squad means they must be slim on pickings. Um, Because while he was experienced he was towards the end of I thought towards the end of his career and I was even more surprised when they ended up playing him for all of their group games in the World Cup and that was Sebastian Larsson who is here again and was their captain against against Spain he's 36 years old and he seems to go on forever (laughs) like he he I think he played the whole 90 minutes and he never seemed to tire really impressive and he was a great um, example to his team um and just for his work rate, and that's exactly how the, um, Sweden frustrated frustrated Spain. They, uh, uh, do, you, uh, do you remember, probably their most exciting player is Alexander Isaac, the, their striker, who was jinking and janking. He was, had yeah. great feet. He, he set up his strike partner, Marcus Berg, and who missed an open goal. Mm. So it seemed like maybe both teams were lacking a bit of toothfulness. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he seemed to be a real bright spark. And apparently, as always as happens, if a young player has one good game at a major tournament, the papers are all like, the Premier League wants him. And all the Liverpool are now linked with him and stuff. But he was actually really impressive, the Sociedad player. Um, but they didn't create an awful lot besides that. They seemed to set out to just stop uh, Spain doing anything. And a combination of Spain not being able to put much together and then squandering the chances that they made turned it into a really great result for Sweden. Yeah. In previous episodes, we've spoken about how each team seems to have a gazer, where each team has a player with dyed blonde hair, and um, then each player, uh, each team, sorry, has their own Modric, where they have the, the guy with the Alice band and the, uh, the very specific look. Do you think there's another trend we're seeing in modern football now, especially international football, of the wily veteran that pulls their team through? Because that's what Modric is doing for Croatia. It's what Ronaldo is doing for Portugal. It's what we see here again for Sweden. 
you got Goran Pandev, North Macedonia. Absolutely. Artem Zuba, Russia. Uh, there's another one. There's more. There's got to be more. Yeah, even I mean, even looking towards Belgium, where Eden Hazard now seems to be out of favour. Yeah. Because he, I don't know if it's just an age thing or a quality of his play thing, but like, he's not. He's definitely not old enough to be considered an a wily veteran. He should be in the prime. He should be, uh, you know, Ronaldo eight nine years ago. Like, yeah. like he should be in the prime of his career. But Turkey is another one. Yeah. Burak Yilmaz, who has kind of been in the dark for most of his career and has had this weird. Um, what they call like a swan song in his 30s where mm-hmm. now he's the most important player and their captain and makes things happen for them so yeah I think you're right yeah and it's so it used to be this, the thing we were saying about Italy is that in this tournament Italy don't have that right in the previous tournaments Italy when they were successful they had Perlo or who were or even Buffon before that dragging this team through inspiring them marshalling them um, and in this tournament, they don't have that. And well, they're doing great. Yeah, well, I was going to say, actually, I think they do. They've oh, got great. Giorgino Chiellini. Okay. But I think the difference is that he's a defender. Yeah. So right, right. while he is the wily veteran that the whole team will rally around and he's really important just for the squad, the, the fact that, again, he's like 36 or 37 and him and Bonucci are still their first choice defenders yeah. shows that that whole generation of players who would be coming to the end of their careers when they hit 33... Maybe that's a thing of the past. Like yeah. Sports okay. science and health's probably yeah. gotten better. So Ronaldo and With, Ibrahimovic, who could, ruled himself out of this tournament, like he's thirty nine, but he's probably still going to keep playing in uh, high level football. Yeah. And with the Belgian team, is their entire defense? Yeah, and that's what we saw against Denmark. Is that anything that um, threatens their pace is a real problem for them? And they brought in they so they got uh, Alderweireld and Vertonghen who are. Alderweireld shouldn't really be considered that old. I think he's like 32 or something, so he's, he's good. But Vertonghen is a bit older. And Vermaelen is their other player on the bench who is 35. And then they brought in Denea in the middle, who was the one who gave away the ball for the Denmark goal and looked shaky all game, which made me think, if, you're not, if you've got two reliable centre-halves who maybe are a bit slow and you need to fill in the gap with a third one, maybe, it's, maybe change the system. Mm. <laughs> because clearly that the balance didn't work. But yeah... That's definitely their weakness. Yeah. It's interesting to see how that is now. To see that in the case of a Spain, what we're not seeing is that Mbappe uh, shining star of the future coming through. Right? Where we're saying, actually, the golden generation is gone. And what you want when the golden generation is gone is for there to be a player... For Spain or for Sweden, or in the case of Poland, a Lewandowski who can come in and just be the absolute figurehead that the squad needs. Right, where Lewandowski, like he is the Poland squad, and we know he's the Poland squad because the te- the television commentators wouldn't stop licking his asshole <laughs> the whole time through, and to the point where I was getting very frustrated with it. Yeah. And not only is that frustrating because it's like they're trying to set a precursor for when he finally does something. Yes. So they can be like, we were talking about it all this time and we said he, when he gets a sniff, he'd do something and he did. Yeah. And then he didn't. He didn't. Slovakia, yeah. he barely touched the ball. I don't think he had a chance on a shot on goal. And it, there, is, there is a real... I think we've talked about before, like... Um, he's, wily, well, he's one of these wily veterans pulling his team through, but he also happens to be one of the best players in the world. 
but he is the gulf between him and his teammates is vast mm-hmm. to the point where he's useless because he can't get any service. He's used to being serviced by his Bayern Munich teammates, some of the best midfield players, attacking players in the world. But Poland just don't have that. So he is just wandering around up there. I don't know how vocal he is as, as a leader, but he is he's he didn't seem to be doing the Harry Kane thing and dropping back to get position. He was just yeah. like waiting. That's not his game. That's no, not his no, game no. at all. But he's I don't know if I'd love to see how his goal scoring for his country has fluctuated because he scored 66 goals in 120 caps, better mm-hmm. than one every other game, which is amazing for international football. But he used to have players like Jakub Blaszczykowski who would um, supply him. And now, and uh, well, uh, uh, what's his name? Arcadius Milik. Yeah, the Marseille player. He got, he's injured for this and he's very, another very important attacking player. So without those people around him who are of a decent enough quality to supply him, he's just wandering around and he won't come and drop deep because he's more of a poaching kind of player. But if the ball is never there for him to, to snatch up, then... He's just going to be taking up space and maybe distracting the defenders at best, giving them something to think about going, we cannot switch off for a second because they've got Lewandowski. And that was when the Poland goal did come in, actually, was the, the, when the Polish did score in that game against Slovakia, the most important movement on the, in that penalty box was Lewandowski ran off to the left and the defenders followed him, leaving an open space for the strike. Yeah, that, that, that led to the goal. Yeah, maybe that is the best thing that he can do is just make just, make pockets for the yeah. midfield players like Lynetta who scored just to get in there and yeah snatch things up. Yeah, and I was really kind of surprised that the commentary team didn't pounce on that to be like <laughs> Lewandowski, the best player in Europe. You see the way he dragged deliberately dragged the defenders away to open the space. Magnificent play there by Lewandowski. Oh, and the guy who scored that was a that was a good shot. That was a good shot too. Yeah, but that's basically what the commentary team was like for for that the entire Poland game. It was very frustrating. It's frustrating, and it's it's not really very fair on Slovakia either because they they played. Good. They were brilliant. Yeah. And they do have, they have the Slovakian Gaza. Yes. Yeah. Andre Duda, who was really impressive. He he's, was, he's, yeah. And not only is he the Slovakian Gaza, he's kind of the Slovakian Phil Foden. Like, he's a very similar kind of player, moves around a lot, makes things happen, great feet, great vision. But yeah, they played, they played absolutely brilliantly and it was um, worthy that they, that they won in the end. And I said, I think I said at the beginning, that Poland may be a dark horse because I thought maybe the Lewandowski factor would play in, but now I've seen them play and looked at them in more detail. I think no, I think they they may be propping up this group by the end of the group yeah. stage. So I thought that this group was going to be a really interesting competitive group, where you've got Spain who are not quite at their best, but they're still Spain, and Sweden who are consistently a team that pushes and challenges. Then you know you've got you've got Poland who have been a you know a de- again another really decent team that is kind of what would you say like like top twenty like I think they're they're ranked to like twenty first actually so yeah okay. yeah, so yeah. and then like Slovakia you've got them like trying to jump ahead and you know really really show what they can do and make a name for themselves and that was going to be really fun and competitive and what you've had is. Spain and Sweden being kind of remarkably boring. I thought that that match Poland just disappointing. And then Slovakia being the team you're like, oh 
yeah, Slovakia. All yeah, right. yeah, they're in that kind of Denmark, Finland area where you're like, wow, they actually, they've come, and North Macedonia, they've come yeah. here to, to have a go and do it properly. Yeah. And it's weird with Poland, actually, because they're one of these teams that, like, in qualification, or if you get drawn against them in your group, everyone goes, you've got to be careful about, you've got to be careful with Poland, because you never really know. But the thing is, like, actually, at, at group, uh, at major tournaments, they they never really perform. Mm. Like, they 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 dink out the group at the last World Cup in twenty eighteen, and then the, they weren't even at any of the World Cups before that since two thousand and two and two thousand and six, where again didn't get out of the group. And then when it comes to the Euros, this is their third, sorry, fourth Euros ever. Okay. Whereas two thousand and eight and twelve, they didn't get out of the groups. And they, they were got, hosting one of those, weren't they? Uh yes, the two thousand and twelve they hosted it. And they got they got through, didn't get out of the groups. And then in uh, in France in twenty sixteen, they got all the way to the quarterfinals, which was was really impressive but then that kind of is the only impressive thing they've done it in in tournaments so that i don't now that i'm again looking into it i'm not sure where the threat ever came from um except for when Lewandowski had good support and good players around him and they could be a threat but without with him on his own they're uh they're a, a shade of what they what they could be. This is a really good chance for us to set Poland up to win the whole tournament now. <laughs> well, that's, what, that's what it takes for me to, to yeah. say. If I say they're going to do well, they're probably going to do badly. And if I yeah. say they're going to do badly, they're probably going to do quite well. Yeah, yeah. Poland is, is one of those interesting countries. I'm going to use this as my, my segue to go across. You remember when we were talking about Italy? We were saying for Italy how um, they were kind of faced with this choice in their democracy of... Um, Italy can either be a country more like Spain that embraces European values in air quotes, those those liberal ideas of equality and um, racial equality and LGBT equality, or they could be a country like Poland who doesn't do that. And that was something we were looking we were looking at players earlier on, one of the Polish players, and you were like, oh, why is he not at the tournament? That's Jakub Blaszczykowski, yeah. Yes, yeah. You were just saying, oh, when he was there, he was able to provide something to Lewandowski that he's not going. Mm. And you were looking into his story, and he kind of had a tragic upbringing. But you said, oh, it says here he's a devout Roman Catholic, and he reads the Bible every day. And it's like, that is one of these big conflicts within Poland and Eastern Europe and with, uh, say, with the, with the EU, with those countries that are becoming increasingly non-religious i guess you could say in becoming uh more secular well we have like in the uk we see that religion is playing a, a smaller and smaller role and in countries like ireland you know a famously catholic country where the old traditional ideas of religion um are slowly being combated in terms of like abortion law and recognition of lgbt people and things like that Poland is one of those countries that is very much not going in that direction um, in terms of its government. And one of the the conflicts within the country itself is a really big divide, bigger than much bigger than we see over here, between those liberal i liberal in air quotes those liberal ideas of what europe should be like with equality for all um and then those traditional concepts of what poland has been for for many many years and last year during the pandemic there were some of the biggest protests in poland's history as a democratic country 
where it was again down to down to abortion law and the treatment of LGBT people, where uh, people went out into the streets and said, no, this is not for us. Because Poland is a country, again, we've spoken about coalitions and how in countries like Italy, they're not ruled by one political party, but coalitions of different political parties. Poland is another one of those countries where the coalition at the moment is the right-wing parties are, are in charge. And these are often the traditional ones, the Catholic ones. Poland is a country, in a similar way to Russia, where um, the Russian state is built on an agree a cultural agreement between the government and the church. Poland is very operates in a very similar way, where the church is an integral, seen as an integral part of, of culture. And, you know, the, this football player reads the Bible every day before bed, it, it said, you, you were saying earlier on. Um, so we end up in this in this country whereby the right, the right wing parties kind of control everything. And there is an upcoming refer well, an upcoming election at the mayoral level for I think this I can't remember the name of the city. It's on the border with possibly Hungary? I can't remember the name of the city. But there's an upcoming election um, where it seems like the left-wing party might actually be able to push through uh, and, get, and win the mayor, win the, win the election of, uh, to become the mayor of the city. And it seems like this kind of uh, reckoning moment in Polish politics where it's like, if the left can start to uh can start to make gains here then this more progressive I idea of poland will begin to well will be able to spread but much like what we said with russia where it's the people in the cities that have these ideas these urban dwelling people who have these I european ideas and it's the people who live in rural poland who have those traditional ideas and we said that for russia we say it in america we say it in the uk this massive divide between the people who live in cities and the people who don't is going to end up being one of the defining political identities of our generation is the people who live in cities say LGBT rights and the people who live in farms and don't see a lot of LGBT people are like I don't uh, the, but in Poland they're LGBT free zones where where gay people lesbians transsexual people are not allowed to go we are proud they say to be an LGBT free zone and you can't imagine that in the UK you can't imagine that in France and this is what we have the Council of Europe, which is a, one of the big um, human rights bodies within within Europe. Um, the Council of Europe calling on Poland to reverse, to deliberately reverse what they're doing, because it, it's causing. In what when the European was set up, it was an economic agreement, and now you end up with such a clash of ideology, whereby. We have a free movement of people in Europe, right? Where, or we, we don't anymore, thanks to Brexit. But French people can move to Germany and German people can move to Spain and Spanish people can move to Poland. But if you're a Spanish gay person and you move to a specific place in Poland, you're not welcome there because of your sexual orientation. 
and that is a potentially huge schism between what in Eastern Europe they would call Western, you know, Western ideas um, and just more, you know, more traditional values. And there have been big protests across other bits of Europe against Poland and Hungary as well, which we'll come back to Hungary. Um, we'll talk about Group F, but Poland and Hungary as these countries that are politically moving away from the rest of Europe. Um, but they're, they're part of this wave of, of right-wing politics that we see around the world. It's no different to, no different to Trump in America. It's, it's that, that same idea of traditional, um, traditional values in air quotes, religious values, or Catholic values if you're in Poland. Um, and we can, again, we can see it in the football team because the players read the Bible. They're no different. They're, they're Polish people. And it always ends up leading me back to Brazil, where Ronaldinho was one of the people who was supporting Bolsonaro. You know, mm-hmm. Ronaldinho as a, like as a black Brazilian player, being like Bolsonaro, the right wing, the right wing politician. He's he's what we're all for. <laughs> well, he's not famous for making great decisions. Well, Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho, yeah. Well, I mean, yes. Is he or is he not still in prison? <laughs> um, he's he was definitely been in prison in Paraguay, I think. Yeah, him and his brother were arrested going into Paraguay for trying to use a fake passport um, to get into the country so that they could attend an event and book a promotion. Ended up being <coughs> held in prison until they eventually agreed a plea deal, which released them. I think it was a they were in there at least a couple of months or something like that <clears throat> and they were forced to pay fines of $90,000 and $110,000 respect for, respectively and I don't know if his time in Ronaldinho was uh, I don't know if his time in prison was super difficult since he was uh, took part in futsal tournaments and okay stuff. probably you know like when really famous people get sent to prison and they're actually not really treated like prisoners they're treated like royalty um, but um, yeah, it seems like he's turned his life around since, uh, since yeah. that spell. But uh, yeah, great decisions he's not always made. No. Like, I get it's just one of those things with uh, we see across across the world. And even moving into Sweden now, Sweden, a famously left-wing country, has been held up, heralded for so many years as... Um, how socialism should work is like in Scandinavia, Sweden, everyone's happy in Sweden and stuff, so people say. Um, Sweden at the moment is facing a political crisis. Actually, this is breaking news because it only started happening, uh, uh, kind of happening yesterday with a, a vote of no confidence against their prime minister. Um, where the kind of the socialist government of Sweden is, is at threat. Again, in large part because of coronavirus, and you know, if you're going, you're going to drag up your two probable reasons for uh, your government to be in danger. Number one, coronavirus. Number two, immigration. You, immigration is one of those topics you can never really get away from. Um, and the, the right wing party in Sweden, the Sweden Democrats. I'm sure they have a, a, a more exciting name in Swedish. Um, they are making the argument that there, a, a recent spike in um, in COVID cases in, in Sweden comes down to uh, an, an open immigration policy. And uh, Sweden is one of those countries that didn't really have a lockdown. Um, they did a lot better than other European countries, but there have always been arguments that, you know, they could have done better if they had had a lockdown, but they didn't, no, they went nowhere near the same way that, the same way that we've done. 
Um, but again, it's it's back down to that that immigration question again, and there has been a rise in uh, a rise in like gang crime and things in Sweden in recent years, and they're like that's because we let in people who need somewhere to live. And if we keep letting in people in need, then they'll start doing crime. Um, and I think there's probably a better argument to be made that uh, immigration during a coronavirus pandemic prevents you from being able to integrate populations because you can't go, hi, these are your neighbours. They're going to kill you if you cough at each other. Um, it doesn't give you a chance to actually you know to, to integrate populations very easily. Uh, but even that same, that's that same, you know, right wing thing is is moving back through again, straight into Spain. The right wing, um, the right wing parties are going crazy over the Catalonia again. Catalonia's back, baby. Um, but this time it's because uh, the the government, the current left wing government of Spain, has said, "Oh, we're just gonna kind of pardon." the people who you know there was when we spoke about catalonia in the last uh, in the last in the world cup we were saying how they had this illegal referendum where they went yeah we're gonna have a referendum for independence and the spanish government went, no you're not I said yeah we are we're gonna do it we're gonna do it we're gonna do it and they did it um and then they all got arrested the leaders of that and now they're saying you know the, the current spanish government is saying we're just gonna pardon them and we're gonna let it go and there are mass protests um, in Madrid about this, saying you can't let them go. You know, they're, they're traitors. They're traitors to our country. They try to divide the country and you're just going to let them go? Um, again, it's this right-wing power that we see sweeping through. I don't know enough about Slovakia to bring it up. But I'm going to guess they've got problems too. <laughs> well, they were, not long ago, they were Czechoslovakia. This is true. So, you know, they've, been, they've gone through a whole change. Yes. Yeah. And... Um, and this is only their second Euros since they broke away from, from Czechoslovakia. They didn't qualify for 96, 2000, 2004, 2008, 2012. They got in uh, Euro 2016 and they got to the round of 16. They got out of their group, um, but then got that far. Um, so it's interesting to see how they got on only their second time. They've only been to one World Cup, which is in 2010. But again, they got out of their group in the round of 16. So they're, they're a new... A new team, like they're a, they're basically a new country. And that's yeah. I, I think that's one of the interesting things about this tournament as well is being able to go Finland. This is their first major tournament in years. Scotland. This is their first major tournament in years. Slovakia. They've only just recently started doing these tournaments. North Macedonia. This you know Wales made a big splash at the last one, but they made a splash because this was one of their first tournaments in years. And it's kind of, it's really exciting to see that. And it's a shame that it comes, you know, at the cost of former winners like Greece, who didn't even won it. They didn't even win it that long ago. They beat Cristiano Ronaldo to, to win the tournament. And now, you know, they're, they're not even here. Um, but it's kind of, it's really interesting to see, you know, this, like a new wave of, of countries kind of coming through. And I think it, it'll give a lot of hope to countries like Scotland and hopefully even somewhere like Northern Ireland and like the Republic of Ireland who had great moments in the past and didn't, you know, haven't got there. Yeah, well, I was going to say uh, countries like Kosovo as well. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. They're, they're so new and so newly affiliated with UEFA and maybe it won't be long before we see them at a, a major tournament. Yeah. I think, again, this is going to be one of those things that if we continue to do this podcast in the future, we might end up talking about a newly independent Scotland. 
Oh. At a future tournament, whether maybe not a World Cup, but maybe uh, the next Euros, then we might be talking about what happens if an independent Catalonia goes through. It, it has Barcelona, Dave. <laughs> it has Barcelona, the Barcelona. Um, maybe how, Pep Guardiola will uh, leave Man City to manage the Catalonian national well, team. Well, how many of the Spanish national team would end up being Catalonian players instead, you know? And you end up, and especially those players for Barcelona who would have lived in Catalonia for years, you know, like... Uh, yeah, maybe they'll be faced with a choice. Yeah. Like if they qualify for Catalonian citizenship, do they play for them or do they play for homeland Spain? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's going to be it's going to be really uh, really a really interesting turn of events for Europe and it's uh, again that thing with that I suppose that exact divide in Poland where we have half a people moving one way and half a people moving another that same thing with America where you have a country that doesn't recognize itself anymore because the populace are moving away from each other increasingly so and at an increasing pace um and it's divisive but in many cases countries have to go through this to you know to move forward and it's the end of an era i think around the world that we're seeing um of the of the democratic experiment of the 20th century and that sounds like a title of a book but yeah, well, the democratic experiment of the twenty first century, twentieth or twenty first. Well, both. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. By Dominic Archer. Yeah, and that's one of the big things in Poland as well about the, this. You know, this uh, this election for mayor in the city is that they're saying we are taking our democracy back. They're saying these governments have been undemocratic, and we're taking it back. And this will allow us to segue into to Orban in the next episode where we talk about Hungary. Is that move towards authoritarianism threatens to end the democratic experiment by going back to what Europe faced a hundred years ago, where, you know, a hundred years ago, there was a little putsch in Munich that saw, you know, the rise of the Nazi party and, you know, Mussolini was strong in Italy this time a hundred years ago. It's, we've seen what happens when, Populations become divided in the past. And one of the greatest tests that we're going to have now as Europeans is can we hold this together or do we take a step backwards? And hopefully the countries that are divided at the moment can look like a country such as, you know, I want to say like a country like uh, like Slovakia or like like a North Macedonia or something can find something here, you know. We've seen before where countries find in their sports a national identity. And they find, you know, and it sounds almost coy and stupid, but it's not because that is what people need to identify with each other, is, you know, something that is there that we can all be proud of or we can all identify with. Mm. Um, well, in the World Cup, we talked to our Portuguese friend, Luis. Yeah. And um, about the current manager of the Spanish team. <laughs> no, see, the Spanish manager is called Luis Enrique, right. and our friend is called Luis Enrique. Oh, okay. One Sorry. is Spanish, one is Portuguese. Yes, yeah, so easily, easily. Our friend Luis has an H and an S on his surname. And and that's uh, the only that's difference. The only difference. <laughs> yeah. But now he talked about like um, with the uh, Portugal winning the Euros in twenty sixteen, how it did give the country something to kind of rally behind, and their country was moving 
in an opposite direction to what you're talking about with yeah. a lot of Europe, where they were getting more left wing and more progressive, and things were positive, and almost um, parallel to that, they were winning the Euros and they won the Eurovision Song Contest, and things mm. were going great. So you know, I think football uh, on a global scale can rally a country that when it needs it to. Yeah. Well, here's hoping because next time we're going to talk about Hungary. And Hungary is one of those countries that I'm kind of dreading the episode on because it's going to be a lot of, this is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) But at least we've got Ronaldo. We've got France, the world champions. We've got Germany. We've got a shit Germany. We've got a shit Germany. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, not even Thomas Muller can bring them together so far. So, yeah, this... Hopefully there'll be a good balance of um, of fun football talk and and um, I think there will dour global politics. Talk. Yeah, I think there will because we were gobsmacked in that France Germany match, and yeah, it's going to be great to be able to get into that and and um, kind of qu- pose the question: What the hell happened to Germany? So I think we asked that question at the World Cup as well, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, continue the question. Yeah. The continuing question, what the hell happened to Germany? Join us for the next episode, the final group episode of Who Watches the World Cup. What did Gary Lineker call it? The group of F. The group of F. Some oh. some copywriter at the BBC gave himself a pat on the back for that one. I'm sure he got like a, a bonus latte or something. Yeah, yeah. Good job. Good job, my friend. Good, Good job, 22-year-old. Yeah, unpaid intern. Yeah. Here's a latte. But Dom. Oh. Oh. I know you, you normally sign us off, but I just wanted to say that Sweden versus Slovakia, the next Group E game starts in 25 minutes. Oh. So. I, how did I not know this? <laughs> I'm going to do it. So what do you think is going to happen in this one, Dom? Great question, Dave. I have to say, in my vast footballing experience that I'm constantly, uh, constantly boasting about on this podcast, Sweden played a good defensive game against Spain. But they'd be looking to step it up a notch against Slovakia. The question is, can they do so? We've seen that Slovakia can stop those greater, more threatening teams in the form of Poland and come back to counter them with a victory. I don't think Sweden has what it takes to overtake, to overwhelm the Slovakian defence in the way that they'd be hoping to do so. They're going to swap to a more positive style of football, thinking that they can take Slovakia in a way that they couldn't take Spain. But Slovakia have got a few tricks up their sleeve. I'm putting it on Slovakia. That was brilliant. Do you think I could do this punishment? I I think you could do the whole thing up by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. What about you? What's your call? I I completely agree with you. Yeah, I think Sweden definitely can be... um, disciplined and and uh, defensive against teams that they're afraid of but they will want to step up and try and take the game to Slovakia but they might leave themselves open to to being counterattacked and yeah Slovakia I'm excited to see how what they do when again when oh, well I think actually Slovakia's game plan will probably be similar to the one it was against Poland the Poland Sweden probably similar yeah. similar as far as they're concerned so yeah I'm excited to see what happens yeah the other big one of course later on today I don't uh, know if you've heard Croatia Czech Republic no, you witty bastard. No, of course. The most hyped game in British media of all time. England v Scotland. The game that English people were like, oh, this should be fun. And Scottish people were like, ah! Fucking get them! Yes. 
Yeah, that we have become more excited about because the Scottish are so excited about it. Whereas, yeah, I was saying this to you yesterday. Before, I was like, um, like, oh, England-Scotland. Yeah, that would be a fun rivalry, but, you know, I'm not, you know, it, it, it's not like England-Germany, but I want England to murder them, <laughs> right? Like, I want England to, uh, I want England to put up a... To, to do well and I want Scotland to do well as well but then after watching the Scottish commentary about it I'm like oh this is on alright alright if you want if you want it you want it then, then bring it <laughs> right like, bring, you, you fucking bring it Scotland what do you reckon is going to happen with that one it should be England are the better team and they should win comfortably and I know a lot yeah. of a lot of um, what we were reading earlier was like 2-0 3-0 it'll be easy but these kind of rivalries, especially when one side of them is more, much more fierce than the other, yeah. they could throw anything into the, into the mix. So I would I would love it to be the game of the tournament, mm. or you know, like um, Holland Ukraine kind of levels of of excitement. As long as England win, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is this is what we were saying because both of us want Scotland to do well. Um, we're kind of lucky that England have already got the win in Croatia in the bag, right? And Scotland Scotland lost their previous game. So I I would really like a 3-3 draw, where it's just a great game of football. Um, Scotland put up like a solid a solid game. Every, everyone gets the point, and then Scotland demolish uh, worn-down Croatia. And England beat the Czech Republic, and we both go through. That's my dream scenario. Actually, I changed my mind. I want that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Who Watches the World Cup. By the next episode, um, uh, you'll know how absolutely wrong we were about everything. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to these games today. Let's go get some snacks. Let's go watch some football.